Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 53. I hope everyone had an amazing holidays. I know I did and now I'm back from my short break. Today I will be talking about the 1997 murder of Ricky Cowles Jr. My sources for today's episode are Dateline, Season 19, Episode 12, titled Mean Girls, www.dailynews.com, and Deadly Sins, Season 1, Episode 7, titled Reckless Abandon. There are not a lot of sources or even information about this case, so most of the information comes from the Dateline and Deadly Sins episodes. They were party girls. They were fierce and out for fun. The beauty queen, the troublemaker. And the girl next door. She was really, really cute, blonde hair. One met the guy of her dreams, love at first sight. But at second glance, trouble. Pregnant at 16. This case takes place in Lancaster, California, a city north of Los Angeles. As of 2019, the population was at an estimation of 157,601. Amy Priestmeyer was just 16 years old when she met Ricky Cowles Jr., who was 20. Amy was friends with Ricky's sister, Shaylin. Shaylin hung out with Amy and their other friend named Jennifer Kellogg. Jennifer was a wild child and would often be at the center of causing trouble. Amy, Jennifer, and some other friends liked to party. There was always drinking and drugs at the parties they attended. They often liked to flirt with various boys as well. That was until Amy met Ricky at a party she threw just before Christmas in 1996. Ricky worked full-time at his family's electrical business. He earned good money and had even purchased a new BMW. Amy caught Ricky's attention right away, even though a few other girls fought for his attention too. Ricky bought Amy gifts and took her on getaways. Amy's parents didn't have any issues with their age difference, but the Cowles, Ricky Sr., and Debbie Cowles did have an issue. She just manipulated him. She was really, really cute, really petite, blonde hair. Wrapped him around her little fingers. Yep. I didn't think about it very much because I was 17 when I met Larry. How were you, Larry? 24. 24. Oh, okay. (laughs) So there was six years difference. And that worked out, so. 34 years. So the age difference didn't worry them. Debbie Cowles also said that she had a gut feeling that Amy was up to something. Debbie tried to keep everything to keep them apart. Ricky, still living at home, didn't like the fact that Amy couldn't stay overnight. He moved out and rented an apartment in a not-so-great area. Amy then moved in with him. Not too long after she moved in, at 16 years old, Amy had gotten pregnant. She also moved her friends, Jennifer and Sarah, into the home. Amy continued to go to parties but didn't drink or do drugs while pregnant. Ricky and Amy's relationship started to fall apart. Ricky wanted Amy to be at home when he came home from long days at work. Amy, still being a teenager, wanted to hang out with her friends. Ricky wanted her friends out. Ricky and Amy both confided in other people that they wanted to break things off but didn't know how. Amy was afraid that Ricky's parents and Ricky would try to take her baby if she ended things with him. Ricky had told his parents about Amy's pregnancy later on and that they were up, and they were obviously disappointed. one night from work and we were in the house and he goes, I have to talk to you and dad. When he said me and dad, I'm like, what about? Well, I just want you to sit down. I want to talk to you. He was really serious. I'm thinking it's some really bad thing, you know? And he tells me, well, Amy's pregnant. And I said, no, 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 you know. Amy moved out of the apartment, but after a week, the couple decided that they wanted to be together. 
Amy claimed that she wanted everything that Ricky wanted. On August 12, 1997, Ricky went to work. Amy left him a note saying she'd spend time with him when she got home. Ricky ended up working later than planned. He went to the festival to help his dad set up the lights. Amy bombarded him with calls asking when he'd be home. Around 9 p.m., Amy and her friend Sarah arrived back at the apartment. Amy walked upstairs, turned the light on, and let out a scream. Ricky was lying on the floor, covered in blood. Amy called 911, but Sarah had to take over the call because Amy was hysterically crying. What's your emergency? Oh my God, oh my God. And she was such a mess. She was hysterical. And I grabbed the phone from her. And I'm like, hello. And she's like, this is 911. So I start freaking out. <laughs> Jennifer Kellogg and another friend soon arrived at the apartment as well. The girls were taken into the kitchen while the paramedics worked on Ricky, who was barely hanging on. The police tried to ask Ricky who had shot him, but he was too weak to respond. Sarah contacted Ricky's parents. When they arrived, Ricky Sr. flew with his son in a helicopter to the hospital. Ricky's brain was damaged. He slipped into a coma after two days in extensive care. His family and Amy were preparing to say goodbye. Debbie told Keith that while they weren't, were at the hospital, Amy said something odd. She told Ricky that he wasn't supposed to die because he had promised to buy her a car for her birthday. Ricky passed away. His heart, lungs, and liver were donated. Amy moved back in with her parents. The police continued to investigate. A shell casing had been found in the apartment, but there was very little evidence as to who killed Ricky. There was a lot of tension between Amy and Jennifer and a lot of finger pointing between the once close group of friends. On January 23rd, 1998, Amy and Ricky's daughter Kaylee was born. The Cowells put up a reward for information on Ricky's case. They were worried that they wouldn't ever meet their granddaughter. However, they did eventually. Debbie said that Amy was a great mom and couldn't say anything bad about her parenting. It seemed that Kaylee was the source for a broken relationship to be somewhat mended. That didn't last long, though. A few months after Ricky died, a 19-year-old named Billy Hoffman was arrested for Ricky's murder. He had bragged about killing Ricky. Billy was a friend of Jennifer and Amy's. He was also a known drug user and dealer. Sarah and Shaylin recalled meeting Billy at a party that took place at Amy and Ricky's apartment one day. Billy supplied the drugs, and Jennifer had been high on acid that night. In 2002, Billy wrote the call a letter. He had been in prison for three years at this point and apologized for his part in the murder. The Cowles took the letter to the DA, who then contacted the police. We're on tape now. The time is 1,400 hours. The date is September the 12th, 2002. Sheriff's homicide detectives went to Billy's prison to ask him, what did you mean by your part? Okay, you were convicted of murdering a Richard Cowles? Yes. Why don't you tell me from the beginning how that thing happened? And finally, Billy Hoffman, grappling himself over what he'd done, stopped denying anything and told the cops his long secret story. And for the very first time, a certain name came popping out of his mouth. I can't remember the exact days or anything like that, but uh, I'd say a couple weeks before the murder happened, I was at my house and Jennifer Kellogg asked me if I would kill somebody.
Billy also admitted that Amy was involved too. Billy said that on August 12, 1997, Amy and Jennifer picked him up and took him to the apartment to wait for Ricky to come home. Billy waited in the bedroom with a knife, gun, hammer, and pillow to use as a silencer. Billy said that Ricky had to work later than planned. He fell asleep, and then when he woke up, he started to have second thoughts. He left the apartment and started to walk home. However, Jennifer and Amy drove by and convinced him to come back to the apartment with them. When Ricky did come home, Billy attacked him with a claw hammer. Ricky fought back, and that's when Billy shot him once in the head. Billy then hit him again with the hammer. He left and paged Jennifer once it was done. The two girls then split up. Jennifer went to Billy's, and Amy asked Sarah to come over. Sarah said she was devastated to learn that she was used by Amy to discover Ricky's body. By Easter 2005, Amy was about to get married. Kaylee was seven. The Cowles were aware that Amy was most likely involved. They had asked the police to let them know when they were going to arrest Amy so that Kaylee wasn't around to see it. The police kept their promise, and Amy was eventually arrested. have some dark nights of the soul where you look at each other and say she must have done it. No. Never? We have never, ever, we have never, ever looked at each other and said she has to be guilty of something. According to the Deadly Sins episode, the police had recorded Amy saying that Billy was a punk and that her people would take care of him for ratting her and Jennifer out. On July 30th, 2007, Amy Priestmeyer was found guilty of murder. She was sentenced to life without parole. At her trial, the judge told Amy's parents that they weren't good parents and let her run around and do anything she wanted. They also blamed Jennifer for egging Amy on. Jennifer Kellogg was offered a plea deal. She, was, she pleaded guilty to manslaughter and sentenced to 15 years and four months. After 18 years in prison, Billy Hoffman wrote a letter asking for clemency. His sentence was eventually reduced from life to 20 years. He has since been released on parole. After a lengthy custody battle, the two families decided to share custody of Kaylee. It was revealed that Kaylee has spent more time with the Cowles. There wasn't really a good motive as to why Amy and Jennifer wanted Ricky dead. Billy had said that Amy said something about Ricky wetting the bed, but it seemed like the true motive was the life insurance policy that Ricky had confided in his mom about. However, Ricky never actually took out a life insurance policy. He just told Amy he did, and that Ricky ruined her lifestyle. Billy, Amy, and Jennifer all deserve to be in prison for life. However, it does seem like Billy is more remorseful for his part than the two girls. I only feel bad for Kaylee and Ricky's family. I also feel bad for Amy's family. However, I don't think they actually see that their daughter was actually involved. I hope Kaylee is living a wonderful, happy, peaceful life. I'd love to know what you think about this case. But now on for my book recommendation for this week. My book recommendation is The Rumor Game by Danelle Clayton and Sonia Carapatra. Summary, all it takes is one spark to start a blaze. At Fox and Prep, a posh private school for the children of DC's elite, a single rumor has the power to ruin a life. Nobody knows that better than Bryn. She used to have it all, the perfect boyfriend, a bright future in politics, and even popularity, thanks to her best friend, cheer captain Cora. Then one mistake sparked a scandal that burned it all to the ground. Now it's the start of a new school year and the spotlight has shifted. It's geeky Georgie, newly hot after a summer makeover whose name is on everyone's lips. When a summer ignites... Oh, sorry. When a rumor ignites, Georgie rockets up the school's social hierarchy, pitting her and Cora against each other. It grants her foxum stardom, but it also makes her a target. As the rumors grow and morph, blazing like wildfire through the school's social media, all three girls' lives begin to unravel. 
The one person close to the drama has the power to stop the gossip in his tracks. The question is, do they even want to? Review. Bryn, now an outcast, befriends the one snurdy Georgie. As rumors swirl about Bryn, Georgie, and Bryn's former friends, Bryn comes up with an idea for a cyberbullying campaign. She helps, She also hopes to win her friends back and to clear her name. Bryn knows what she did was wrong, but there's more to it than people think. I really like this book. I think at one time or another, we've all been part of this kind of drama or at least have heard rumors about people that we once went to high school or even college with. I really like the plot and some of the characters. I'll admit some of the characters were a little vicious and somewhat extra in my opinion. But I think the authors did a really good job of painting the picture of how rumors can really affect people and that it only takes the brave ones to stand up for themselves. I give this book a 9 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram, and my new Twitter at It's Crime O'Clock. Join my Patreon, buy me a coffee, rate and review. I really appreciate it, and I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock somewhere.